You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. Well, bless you. Good to, good to see you out here. Are you feeling the summer? <laughs> it feels like January or February already, doesn't it? Um, I love it. It's great. I, I enjoy summer. You know, in um, traveling overseas on one occasion, I can't remember where it was, but I remember going to a, a market in Malaysia. I remember where it was. I just can't remember the year. And it was a night market, and it was going to be so thrilling and exciting. And I remember as I walked along this night market thinking, hang on, I've seen this stuff in Thailand. I've seen this stuff in China. I've seen this stuff in the Philippines. And all of a sudden, there was, there was nothing left. It was kind of like I had exhausted the world's night markets. There was nothing less that, you know, left that really surprised. I don't know where it all came from or how it was uniquely Malaysian and uniquely Thai and uniquely Filipino, but markets seemed to become quite the same old, same old until this one occasion where we were walking actually through a shopping mall um, in Subic Bay in the Philippines. And... And my son, Joel, um, saw something which was genuinely different to most of the products that we'd seen around the place. It was a replica Walter PPK. Now, for those who don't know what that means, if you've ever seen a James Bond film, it's his weapon of choice. Now, we're not gun fanatics in our household by any means, but... Okay, maybe it's a boy's thing, but this was a seriously nice piece. And it actually wasn't a replica firearm, per se. It was a fire lighter. That was the cool thing. It was... Now, we're not smokers in our household either, but we do have a fire which we use in winter. And it just seemed to Joel, and yes, I perhaps, perhaps agreed with him, that this would be a really, really cool trick to be able to light a fire with a replica James Bond gun. I mean, who gets to do that? So we had a 24-hour cooling-off period in which we were going to do a little bit of research. The first thing was, can you bring firelighters back into Australia and through such countries as Singapore and so forth? And surprisingly, as we, as we researched this, Australian customs and so forth, at least back in 2012, it didn't seem to be such a big deal. But it was still a little bit of a risk, so we had a deal. Joel knew it was going to cost him $25. We would declare it at each point along the journey. Hey, if they let, it, they let us take it into the country, we would accept this as the new fire lighting device in the Hunt household. And if we lost it, we lost it. Fast forward a couple of days. It had now been 40 minutes since they first took me into the interrogation room. This was a first. They'd never held an Australian pastor allegedly in breach of federal aviation regulations. And my argument that it was primarily a firelighter that bore an uncanny resemblance to a firearm just didn't seem to be winning the day. I was now certain that I'd missed my flight, and as I sat in the interrogation room, I actually thought not just I'd missed the flight, but as I separated from the rest of the family, um, Bron and Joel and, and some friends were out in the, in the main part of the terminal, I actually wasn't entirely sure I'd be leaving the Philippines that day. Uh, perhaps what worried me a little bit more was the thought that I might actually be blacklisted from the Philippines, where I knew that there would be future ministry possibilities. And so 
So this was a little bit of a concern, but I did communicate to them the urgency of getting the passports, at least to Bron and Joel, so that they could, they could get out of the country, even if I was going to miss my flight. And so as they did that, and we sat waiting for higher authorities in the, in the bureaucracy to actually give a ruling on this rather bizarre situation, it gave me some time to reflect on what went wrong. I think it was the farewell. It was whilst we were hugging and embracing our friends and somebody, being very helpful, loaded our luggage onto the x-ray machine before I could actually get to it. It was that moment when I was distracted that things all started to go a little bit pear-shaped. And as it went through the x-ray, I remember thinking, uh-oh, uh-oh, we really should have declared this first. But as it went through and they called me over to, to join them, I was uh, going to give ready with my explanation of, of what it was. Uh, simply a firelighter that, as I said, had an uncanny resemblance to a firearm. Well, the, the debate went on for some time between the security officers surrounding me and myself as to firearm or fire lighter. Semantics. And uh, then, much to my surprise, the security guard took it out of the box and he says, you have to admit, it looks like a firearm, which I knew was a leading statement and I was not going to be led there. I said, no, no, I really believe it's a fire lighter. But, um, but he said, well, there's only one way to find out, isn't there? And with that, he did the most extraordinary thing. He blocked his ear, he turned and pointed it to the ground and pulled the trigger. And uh, as it simply went click, with no flame, because we'd emptied it of the gas, my argument was now, see, in my head, I wasn't cheeky enough to say this, see, it can't be a firearm because I do not have a gunshot wound in my foot, which you were pointing it at as you pulled the trigger. The result was, after some time, that, that they did let us go. They agreed that it was simply a fire ladder, although they kept the peace, although they returned my passport and I was able to leave the country. You know, the point was, there are huge repercussions of being distracted, even momentarily. It was only for a moment, as I was saying goodbye to our, our friends at the airport there, that, that I was distracted, the luggage was loaded onto the x-ray machine, and everything got complicated after that point. And basically, distractions have consequences. And we talk a lot in this day and age, don't we, about multitasking. We do believe, we've quite convinced ourselves, that it is possible for us to, to do multiple things at once. In actual fact, though, some, some recent studies have showed that that's anything but the truth. In fact, some studies have even questioned the legitimacy of the word multitasking. A 2006 study was done on drivers who were, who were talking on cell phones. Now, not holding the cell phone, this was hands-free. They were simply talking on the cell phone to somebody else. And they were drivers that were talking to somebody else um, actually more likely to be in a rear-end car collision than a driver intoxicated at 0.08 blood alcohol content. And basically the study found that the brain has trouble focusing on two sources of input at once. Now we love, don't we, the, the thought that it's us guys actually who have trouble multitasking and the girls are a little bit superior in this department. There's been no study apparently that has shown that to be true. I think it's a little bit more myth. 
No significant study has shown that, that males are any less capable than females of, of doing more than one thing at once. In actual fact, it shows that, that both genders struggle with this. Now, is there no difference between the genders? Yes, there is. Males are far more likely to be better at learning and performing a single task, such as cycling or navigating directions, and females are far more likely to be superior at memory and social cognition skills. However, when it comes to this whole area of multitasking, we may not be as good as we think we are. In actual fact, as we, as we tackle studying for exams and social media and so forth, the results of those people who were actually um, studying whilst looking at Facebook and texting, all as, as three tasks simultaneously happening, the, the actual reception of information diminished um, um, increasingly the more that they were distracted by the other things. So it seems that an old 19th century saying that to do two things at once is to do neither has more of a ring of truth to it than we, we might care to admit. We're a very, very distracted generation, and around this time of year, we're perhaps more distracted than ever. There are so many things that are, that are wanting our attention, and I, I bet if we all compared our calendars and our schedules right now, most of us would admit that there are very, free few, sorry, very few free blocks of time over the next few weeks. Things are getting busier and busier, and we are becoming more and more distracted. Matthew chapter 2, there is a story of some very wise men who refused to be distracted, to lose focus, or to give up on their single-minded passion. If you want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, let's, let's read just verse 12 verses, verses 1 to 12, and read a fairly well-known story, but a story that has relevance to us once again at this particular time of the year. Matthew chapter 2, let me read verses 1 to 12. Well, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, where is this one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, it was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the peoples, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king... They went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. What do we know about the Magi? Well, we know they were wise or great. In fact, Magi literally means that. They came from one of the tribes of the Medes and Persians. 
there seems to be some Jewish influence there. Perhaps during the Babylonian exile, they had heard about the, the concept of a Messiah. They were definitely deeply interested in religious and other fields, in, including a study of the stars. And we don't know the exact number, although tradition has three because there were three gifts, but there could have been more of them. We just, we just don't know. We do know from verse 2, the part of the reason we call them wise men is not just because that's how they were known because of their studies, but because they had correctly interpreted the times and understood that God was intervening in human affairs in a remarkable way. And they wanted to come and seek out the one through whom he would do it. They were seeking the Messiah. Verse 2 it says, they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And by, by this, they were seeking the one thing that in all of life it is important to seek. We're going to be receiving cards, and they're going to have words on them very shortly, like season's greetings. Have you ever, ever thought how ridiculous that is? Greetings, it's summer. Well, that's if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, and if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, it's winter. Oh, which, which season is it that we're getting excited about, and does it really matter? Is it about the seasons at all? Why are we getting so excited about cold and hot and seasons all of a sudden? We don't get that excited about, about spring or autumn. Well, sometimes we might get cars saying holiday greetings. Hey, it's all about the holidays. And we forget very quickly that holiday really actually means holy day. It's a, it's a day to set ourselves aside for a, for a very, very special purpose. Amidst all of this, I guess, consumerist mindset and, and everything that would seek to distract us, including the very phones in your hand at the moment, is this sense in which sometimes don't you just want to give up? Like just... Just call out defeat and kind of say, all right, you know what? I, I, I can't. It's impossible to focus on the real meaning or the reason for the season. I just give up and, and perhaps we can have some Jesus moments come February because everything else is just too much. Well, we, we had this conversation as young parents way up in Queensland. We had little kids and and we started to have to forge what was going to be the Christmas tradition in the, the Hunt household as Stuart and Bronwyn, as the parents. And, and I recall just being absolutely fed up. But we really was, seriously, one of those moments where I just thought, you know what, um, I'm almost ready to claim defeat. I just hate the commercialization of this whole thing. And, and, and we were, well, had this tendency to want to become rather minimalist in our celebrations draw everything back until it was just Jesus, but, but in a minimalist sense. And we felt quite convicted about this. We thought, you know what, if anyone has cause for celebration at this time of the year, isn't it us? Shouldn't we be, you know, decorating and, and celebrating and kind of giving thanks more than anyone else? Shouldn't this be our moment as Christians, as Christ followers? And so we decided, you know what, when it comes to Christmas, for the right reason, we want to go big. We eliminated Santa Claus. It was a lovely thing to do. Um, he was gone violently. And uh, no, no, no kind of sighting of Santa Claus within the Hunt household. It was all about Jesus, but we went big on Jesus. I remember standing in the shopping mall on one occasion, Big W, up in Queensland before it came down to Victoria, 
sweat on my brow just looking at these two trees, trying to make a decision, the six-foot one or the seven-foot one. And to you, that might not seem such a big deal, but I, was, I just had this conviction, Stuart, go big. I want to be celebrated. I deserve to be celebrated. Go big. But it was about a $40 difference, and we were very poor in those days. <laughs> but I just remembered, all right, God, I'm going for the seven-footer. This is going to be a seven-foot Christmas celebration for you now and always. And uh, it was, I guess, just taking that step of faith for me. It's all right. If you've got a six-foot Christmas tree, it still counts. It doesn't matter. And there's, you know, um, I guess, hesitations about trees in the first place. But don't worry. We, um, I'm all for a good missiology that reassociates meaning to symbols. But anyway, we went for the seven-foot Christmas tree, and we wanted to go big with our celebrations of, of Jesus. I'd commend that to you this Christmas as well. As you forge ahead in your own celebrations of what it means to celebrate Christmas, go big, be bold, be adventurous, go all out. Make it all about Jesus. Don't let anyone outdo you with your celebration of the reason for the season. Go for it. Seek him with all that you have and with all that you are. Seek him out like, like nothing else. Remind yourself once more of the joy of your salvation, what the good news is really about. Go for it. Go all out. Do not be outdone in this matter by anyone in the world. Make, a, make it a Jesus-centered Christmas. Seek him with all that you are. And then they said to, said to Herod, not just were they seeking him, we saw his star, we've, we've come, but we've come to worship him. Make it a worshipful Christmas. They came to worship. And by worship, we mean that whole of life devotion because he's worth it, because he's worthy of it. He deserves it. He deserves everything that you can give him. You cannot outgive him this Christmas, I promise you. He is worth everything that you can, you can give. And sometimes, I guess our celebrations would, would lead us to think that perhaps he isn't worth all that much because we're distracted again by so many, so many different things. But worship is like, like finding that thing which is, which is treasured above all other things. It's like, I guess you, you had a young adults, a car rally yesterday. And uh, car number one, you know, one, didn't they? It was Tim and, Tim and Rachel Sharp's car, I think the team was called, according to Matt, shaken and not stirred by the Holy Spirit. Look, the James Bond theme just keeps going, doesn't it? Shaken and not stirred by the Holy Spirit. That was, that was the name of team number one who won. And, and I... I have no doubt Matt would not have um, diddled them when they received their prize. It would have been some magnificent trophy because I've seen car, car rallies that have been won and they would have held it high saying, this is it. This is what we were driving for. This is it. This is why we were in the race. So they would have held high that trophy. Well, that moment of, of holding high that thing of great worth, that's worship. It shows what it is that you were devoted to. It's finding like it were the the parable of the pearl of great price. Once it was found, the person who found it sold up, gave up everything that they had for that for the pearl of great price. They had to have it. They were devoted to the cause. They had to have that pearl. You know the story about the, the man who lifted God up? His name was Simeon, a man filled with the Holy Spirit. He was, he was waiting for the consummation of Israel and and that, that moment where God would come and redeem his people and the Holy Spirit led him to the temple the very same day that Mary and Joseph came to dedicate Jesus. The Spirit of God connected the two. Simeon realized who this was and he took him in his arms 
And in Luke chapter 2, we, we read that he praised God, lifting him up, the man who lifted God, Simeon, lifted Jesus up in his arms, praising God, and he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. All his life he'd been waiting for this. This was his pearl. This was his treasure. This was the thing that he sought with all of his heart. And in the act of worship, he lifts Jesus up to God, and he says, Take me home now. <laughs> I've seen what I wanted to see. I've seen what you promised I would see. Verse 30 of chapter 2 in Luke, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. The man who lifted God up, he was worshipping God in that moment. He'd found something worth it, worth of all he had. And then in verse 11, we, we read that these magi, having had the conversation with Herod, they were led um, by the star to the house in which Jesus was, being nurtured with his, his mother Mary and father Joseph. And there they bowed down and they worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Well, there's a traditional symbolism for each of these gifts, and it, it's little wonder that with gold people have associated many times the kingship of Jesus. Because gold is, is worthy of a king. Frankincense for his priestly role. And then, of course, myrrh for, for anointing. It was a special oil for anointing. And particularly thinking about the, the anointing that was upon him as the Messiah or the Christ, but also that anointing for burial that would come later on in life. They presented their best. They were seeking God out they came to worship him, and when they found him, they knew that they had found what mattered most. And they weren't distracted from their cause. When they found him and they found the one who mattered most, they gave their very best for him. I wonder if you can think of something appropriate to give to Jesus. You probably have a Kris Kringle. You probably have people that you're buying for. You've probably thought about them. Oh, what would delight their heart? What would just give them great joy? And you've thought about who they are and their likes and their dislikes. And, and you've come up with brown socks. Yes. And you've got so excited that you have found the very present that is going to delight them. Well, what would delight Jesus? Tip, he does not need brown socks. But what would he like from you this Christmas? Have you found the one who is worth everything that you possibly have to give? I guess there are many things we could give him. Maybe we could give him words. When was the last time that you took a journal or some, some other device and you, and you actually wrote out a prayer to God to tell him what you really think of him? Have you done that recently? Told God what you really think of him? I wonder, would that be a, would that be a lovely gift for the Christ? This Christmas. Take some time to actually write a letter. Maybe you could do it the old-fashioned way with a real piece of paper and a pen. Just take your time and ponder each of the words and tell God as a gift to him, this is my prayer to you. This is my praise. This is my offering. This is what I think. Maybe not words, maybe time. Maybe in your schedule you... You could commit an actual block of time. Take a morning. Take a walk. Go up onto a mountainside or sit by a river or a brook. Tell him what you, what you really think. Just worship 
Sit in his presence, adore him. If you're musically inclined, find a new Christmas album of worship or Christmas carols, maybe with a little jazz. Listen to them, enjoy them. Let them focus your attention on Christ the King. Spend some time just soaking in his presence, enjoying who he is, this gift from your heavenly Father. Maybe a, an act of service would be a, be a sweet thing for the king. Find somebody in need and minister to that need. Throughout our announcements, there is a, a number of opportunities to, to serve, even, even one another, without looking beyond the community. Although we also have the giving tree, families in need around this area that we're very, very keen to assist as well. Maybe there's an area of service actually not far from you. Just ask God to show me. Open my eyes. Let me see a need, Lord, that you would like me to meet. And I want to do that as my act of service to bless you, my gift to you this Christmas. We often, I think sometimes misunderstand Matthew, Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats, the sorting out from, from those, those who are real followers of Christ and those who aren't. We often think that that's very much about social justice and it does have social justice overtones and there's no... No reason to believe that the Bible doesn't hold that up as a very important part of who God's people are. But there's this little phrase, this little idiomatic expression in Matthew 25 that says, To the least of these, my brethren. And when it's used, it always means the family of God. Matthew 25 is talking about looking after one another, devotion to one another. Matthew 25 is all about finding ways to serve one another in the family of God. Isn't that interesting? And as you do that, you identify with God's people and God's family. Maybe it's an act of service, looking after one another. Or maybe it's giving something up. Maybe there is something that is, that is really, um, I guess, winning so much of your time at the moment. It could be something that you actually like. It, it might not necessarily even be a bad thing, but it consumes so much of your time. And just for a season, perhaps you could give it up. Surrender it as an offering. Take it, whatever that might be. Um, imagine logging off Facebook for the month of December or January. If it's December, you get a good deal. We're already into it. Imagine doing that for Christmas. Imagine, imagine surrendering you know, some, of, some technology or something else that, that you know in your heart of hearts is a constant source of distraction. Because that's the issue here. Why don't we worship more? Well, we're distracted. Some may argue, hey, we're always worshipping. <laughs> it's just what's the object of our worship? I guess you could easily find out the object of your worship. Just track where your time flows. Where your time flows, I suggest, there you will find your real heart's treasure, the object of your true affection and, and devotion. These guys were known as wise men because they sought Jesus. We can be known as many things. We can be known as a, as a student. We can be known as, as a particular employee of this company or that. We can be known as a 
as a son or a husband or a wife or a mother or a, I mean it's limited we can't be known as all of those things but but we can be known as many many things but would people pick that we are Christians would they pick that we live out those words I am yours and you are mine would they pick it from the way we we spend our time would they pick it by by the priority of Jesus in our lives? Would, would, people, would people pick that we are followers of Jesus Christ? Do they know it? Would they call you a freak? I love, I think it was DC Talk who first really coined the phrase and held it up as an ambition, a holy ambition to be known as a Jesus freak. Not a bad thing, huh? To be known as a Jesus freak. Would people pick it? Does your time flow towards Christ? Does your devotion flow towards Christ in such a way that people would say, that guy, that girl, just such a freak for Jesus. Maybe this Christmas, and I speak about this in an aspirational sense, not as we've arrived, but something we aspire to. Maybe this Christmas... It's not a matter of beating yourself up because the answer to that question is no, but maybe it's a, maybe it's a matter of saying, I like that as a goal, as an objective, as something to aspire towards. I like that. Okay, Jesus, help me here. Let it be. Let it be. I'd like to say yes and amen to that prayer. Let it be that I would become known as a Jesus freak because of my devotion and my worship to you. You see, we might not think it, but distraction has consequences. It always does. It will displace one object of affection for another. And if we're distracted from Jesus, then truly something else will take his place. It really will. I was thinking before, it really is a very, very simple matter. There's a song, Just Give Me Jesus. I was, I was thinking, <laughs> you know, as a pastor, it's about all I have to give. You could ask me any question you want, but it really gets so simple for me. All I have to give you as an answer is Jesus, just Jesus. Seriously. Healing. Restoration. Guidance, peace, joy. Just Jesus. There are no other answers. Nothing really fancy that I can tell you. Just Jesus. It's all you need, honestly. My role as pastor is pretty simple, actually, isn't it? I've just got to firstly persuade myself of that fact, and then you guys as well. So what gift would you like to give Jesus this Christmas? How much should it cost? Well, I'd give him yourself. Don't go cheap on that. Find a way to, in some way or another, put him back in, in first place. And if you're looking for guidance on that matter, like how do you do that? What's that look like? Then maybe this beautiful little stable setting that some of the creative 
folk around our church have put together is a good reminder of how you do that. I love the symbolism of the cradle right there before the cross, don't you? It speaks of purpose and intentionality and of, of love. And as we think about what gift would we bring the King of Kings this Christmas, we thought it would be very fitting, since we're going to take communion tonight anyway, very fitting to receive the gifts that he has given us, the symbols of the bread and the wine. And in fact, you might notice they're put on the floor. Is that because we don't hold these things up as being of very, you know, great value? No, not at all. It's just that you have to bend lower to get them. And so we decided to do communion a little bit differently tonight. Just give you an opportunity to express placing him number one once more. We're thinking about what gift do we bring to him. But before we do that, here's a beautiful demonstration of gifts that he has already given to you. He has shed his blood. His body was broken. He has given all of himself so that your sin can be atoned for you can have restored relationship with the Father. That's his gift to you. And maybe as you receive it, yes, you'll have to bend low. Maybe you'd like to even take that moment. And listen, I'm not really particular about traffic flow here. If it takes time, it takes time. But maybe you'd like to take that moment to actually bow before him. And in that posture of reverence, in that posture of just bowing down before him and surrender to him, take the gifts that he has offered you, but offer back to him your life in return. Jesus, this Christmas, we want you to be number one in our affection. Number one in our devotion, number one in our thinkings, number one in our heart of hearts. And for some of us, this may be a little bit challenging, coming and taking the elements of the cup and the bread, symbolizing your blood and your body. But as we do so, we pray that you would be all over this moment and that you would lead us in true worship as we receive the, these symbols as your, your gift to us, a reminder that you are a worthy, atoning sacrifice for our sin, the lamb that was slain, worthy to open the scroll, as we remind ourselves of that fact and take the gift of these symbols we also want to offer back to you the gift of our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity. Lead us now in worship, we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.net.